Welcome to Coffee Ukuda. In this episode, we have a conversation with Peter Ward, the Managing Director of 1PM Group. Peter has over four decades of experience in the construction industry, ranging from his time at Lend-Lease, where he ended up as a general manager for Queensland, and then he moved on to ProBuild, where he was the managing director. Peter has been involved in numerous monumental projects in Australia, ranging from the Gold Coast University Hospital, Brisbane Supreme Court, Ipswich Hospital, as well as the Melbourne Central Redevelopment. Peter is an experienced figure that I'd really look forward to having a conversation with and I hope you enjoy this as well. Thanks. Joining me today for coffee is Peter Ward, the Managing Director of 1PM Group. Um, where I wanted to start this conversation is the current state of the industry. As someone who's been in it for over four decades now, what's been the transition to get to where we are and what are the changes that have happened that have led us to this position? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question, Kudu. It's, and it's certainly a question that's quite topical mm. at the moment in the industry. Um, it's never a short answer when, yeah. when you try and encapsulate an industry as large and as diverse as, as, as our industry. Good. Um, I think one of the major things for mine and the changes that I've seen in the industry, in particular now, is there seems to be this level of caution, caution from financiers, uh, developers, um, in particular over the last few years, you know, you can't go through a, a pandemic, you can't come out of that on, a, on, a, on an active um, construction site and not know that it's going to create issues yeah. like it has in the rest of the economy. But more importantly, I think in the construction industry, I think there's a, a, a mistrust from all parties across the board I'm not sure what has caused that. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a range of things, whether it be you know, skill set, um, the, the tough risk associated with our industry, uh, and more importantly, how the industry is dealing with that. I like that you touched on the mistrust because in a previous conversation I've had, that came up that it used to be a relationship business. We could shake, off, shake hands, have a conversation, discuss variations or contractual issues. How do we get back to that position these years. Yeah, look, it's a really, um, it's an interesting concept about the, the, the whole, you know, work on a handshake, work on a relationship. There is no doubt that, you know, certainly through my career and, and, and certainly peers that I continue to have strong relationships with were born out of a desire to achieve and a desire to really compete actively in a market, but get an end result, an end result for client, an end result for the contractor, an end result for all parties, financiers. Yeah. Um, that was incredible through certainly the 80s um, and, and therefore into the 90s, where there was a can-do attitude. It was very much about what are the restraints, what's your risk, Understanding that risk, breaking down that risk. I certainly know in my time at Lend Lease, I, I had the ability to work with people such as Murray Coleman, um, Jeff Moore. <coughs> if we look at that, that, you know, legends of the industry. Um, a lot of that was brought about by understanding the risk. Not only what the risk might be for a contractor, but what does success look like? And if you build a team, you build a development, you build an industry around what success looks like, 
as opposed to a negative attitude where it's what does failure look like and how are we going to prevent it, it's an incredible amount of difference between the way people approach the project and more importantly, what they're prepared to give and put out there to ensure success. I think it's missing. I I totally couldn't agree with you more on that. And just in looking at it in the industry as post-COVID especially, the pressure of rise and fall, the pressure of the resourcing, the pressure of just contractors and subcontractors realizing that we're gonna lose money here, including developers, has sort of had people lose sight of that, what does success look like? Mm. And we've moved back to, oh, this is what failure is, and it could get really bad. As someone who has experience in both the contractor side and the client side project management, how do we bridge that gap from the contractors and from the, for the developers? Sure, yeah. <clears throat> I think part of the journey of, of 1PM Group for me, and, and you know, not trying to make this an advertisement, but the, the, the theory behind why 1PM Group and, and probably a number of other um, project management groups was how do you bridge that gap? And, and, and a lot of that comes from understanding both sides of what success looks like for the developer, for the contractor, but also again that risk, understanding how who's best prepared or who's best equipped to deal with that risk. You know, for too long um, in the defence of a contractor, for too long um, finances, um, developers and industry has pushed that risk further and further onto the contractor. Um, And in some cases, contractors aren't equipped to deal with those risks. You know, we've seen the projects where, you know, we go and buy a developer, buys a block of dirt and um, does all the due diligence they think they need to do to get a sale and then want to pass the in-ground risk on to a, um, to a, a contractor. So two things are going to happen there. One is they're going to get it wrong, they're going to price it high, the project won't work. It's a small example of pushing risk into the right place where people can manage it. But, but more importantly on that, how do you bridge the gap was the question. Um, what we're trying to do, certainly at 1PM Group and, and certainly with our clients and, and a number of um, contractors that we work with, is, is that communication skill. And, and it sounds really simple, but Gerda, it's having that conversation. Um, whether it be on a, a major project as we, as we are on, say, Waterfront Brisbane, yeah. it's bringing those people to a table, bring those people to a room and understand what the challenges are and then having a conversation about how we're going to deal with those challenges, deal with those risks as a project team, as opposed to apportioning blame as to who didn't get it right or who's not doing it right. And that really goes into my next question of, we understand the importance of having a good project manager. What makes, what's the difference between a great project manager who's going to bridge the gap and just someone who's there to fill the seat. What do you think are the qualities that? I don't know. When you find them, let them know. Who they are. <laughs> um, the qualities, I think, are <clears throat> again, keeping it pretty simple. Uh-huh. It, it, we, you know, I certainly suffered as, as a contractor, and you know, we're talking 
my lend lease days, um, not, not pro build days, but, you know, tier one contracting, quite often we were faced with dealing with project management groups that we considered a post box. Yeah. They, were, they were very quick at writing a letter um, on a major project uh, many years ago in Melbourne, um, Herald and Weekly Times. It was a troubling job for Lend Lease, it was a troubling job for Seabus. Um, we had a project manager that wrote 455 notices and RFIs. <laughs> I got to the project and said, it'll be the last one you wrote because all we want to do is sit down and have a conversation about what those challenges are. So a good project manager is the ones that are actually looking for what <clears throat> the constraints are, what is the pathway to having that conversation. But more importantly, also understanding where is that success that we talked about, yeah. but where does it lie and who's best equipped to bring that to the table. Um, it's not an easy role, particularly at the moment, sitting between escalating costs of, of contractors lack of resources that you touched on earlier on. Contractors are up against it. Um, getting a client that understands that, yeah. getting a, a finance, we've spoken with many finance groups who are very keen to understand what does that look like? Sometimes it's not going to be an all risk lump sum deal. Um, you know, it's very hard. Contractors don't want to look at that at the moment. They want to look at a fair apportionment of, of risk. risk yeah and escalation. So I think that's fundamental at the moment in the industry of bringing that together. And how do we then procure? Mm. Like when we've got this situation where the ECI at the moment, like it's been the buzzword for the past <laughs> year, year and a bit with different versions of it. And it's it's not working sometimes. No, it's, look, I think you're right. I, I, it's really simple. ECI is an early contractor involvement. <coughs> There's been many forms of that over time. There's been a more structured approach, such as a managing contractor two-stage. Um, and it's interesting that Queensland Health has brought that back to the table, yeah. albeit in a different type of format. Early contractor involvement is about helping to inform a project around things such as buildability, market pricing, um, it's bringing skill sets into the, the project team, um, supporting you know, a client's dream, supporting consultants and, and what they need to produce. You know, I'm quite sure if we brought a consultant in here, they'll tell you the fees are nothing like they used to be, and they're not. So it's that old, you pay for what you get. So unfortunately, that, that Again, that chart or that mantra of a development wanting real ECI involvement, i.e. real contractor involvement. And the only challenge for that, I feel, from the contractor's point of view, is that, deal, that DNC skill set, having that yeah. design and construct, it's, it, it became a bigger buzzword than ECI, that every builder is a, a design and construct expert. They don't really understand what design and construct is. Design and construct is not sending a set of documents out to a tender party, a yeah, bunch of subcontractors back. getting a price back and giving it to the client and saying, we've done some ECI work by finding the cheapest price for you. We think we can beat that by 10% and there's your ECI dollar. It's real contractor involvement. It's real understanding of what the design process looks like and how they can put input into that design. 
And given that you, you touched on the skill set that's lacking at the moment, and in Queensland especially, we've got the hospital work you mentioned, we've got Queen's Wharf that's still going, and we've got a few more jobs on the go. We're still working towards the Olympics. Mm-hmm. How do we then fill that knowledge gap? It's a, it's a, if I, if I could answer that, you know, I'd, I'd not have to worry about 1pm group, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be, we'd be making plenty of money. Yeah. It, it's a challenge for everyone out there. It's a challenge for the consultants. It's a challenge for the contractors. Um, you know, Queensland Health has, has got a program to deliver $9.8 billion um, worth of health in, in the next five to six years. Um, these are large scale projects, $1.1, $1.2 billion yeah. of two-stage MC. For the next 18 months, they're working on seven or eight major hospitals in design. Now, you know, from history and, and from my um, experience, we, we did Gold Coast University Hospital, which was a $1.2 billion hospital. Uh, at the peak of that job, they had 140 people, then lease people, working on that project. Um, Sunshine Coast Hospital was delivered under a PPP model. Um, we had the same amount of people working on design. And that was a strain on the industry at that yeah. point. That was one hospital at a time. Now we've got six. And now we're looking at nine yeah. at some stage. So um, resources are going to have to come from um, overseas. You know, there's obviously been a constraint on, on people being able to get into Australia. Um, you yourself would know that as much as anyone, but it's actually being able to pinpoint where that skill set is, um, getting them to Australia, um, having time understanding Australian conditions. Yeah. But more important, it, it's got to come down to collaboration. It's got to come down to looking outside the box of procurement for something such as the hospitals. Yeah. How do we prefab more? How do we get smarter in design? How do we include more BIM? How do we get technology to help drive some of that success? Um, resources are going to be the biggest test. And the biggest sector that's probably going to suffer from the resource drain is the private sector. Mm. How, I know 1pm, there are a few multi-res developments, a lot in the 50 to $100 million range. How do we deal with it now from a procurement perspective? Are we design it? Do we really <coughs> get a BOQ and just get a... As you know, we, we're getting asked by our clients all the time, you know, what's the right... Um, I, I think I think there's a few things that um, temper our decisions on each project. Um, some of that is, you know, the, the scalability of the project and, and whether it's ready, whether it's, you know, press the button and go, yeah. whether it's we need to understand budgets, whether we need to get visas. Um, I think looking at each project individually and understanding and breaking the project down into whether it's shovel ready um, is is first up. And and that's certainly what we talk about with our clients. Um, Progressing design um, can be fraught with danger if it's done in isolation. Um, So um, a lot of effort is being put into, certainly from our side and 1PM group, is working closely with the, the right level buckles of the world, understanding real costs, understanding design instruction and, and design nows that goes into some of these um, documents, progressing them to a point where you can give the builder confidence yep. 
that they've still got the ability to um, bring in their buildability options, mm -hmm. to bring in their experience, but the documents that, that speak to a, a good design, mm -hmm. that speak to even to the extent where, you know, whether we have to get bills or quantities, bill of quantities done, yeah. um, whether it's understanding how early you bring them in, again, we go back to that ECI, how early you bring them into that design process. Um, is going to help gauge as to whether these projects go or don't go. The, 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 the test on, as you said earlier on about resources, for us on these multi-revs, the, com the commercial industry, the private industry, um, will always have an attraction to uh, the contractors. Yes, yep. these big government jobs, um, they're, they're, they're safe, um, they're less risk adverse, mm -hmm. but they also consume. And so it's very hard as a contractor to take on a lot of that work without finding that they lose that agility to compete in, in a private world. I, I certainly know as Len Lease, we, we had a lot of government work in Queensland for a period of time. We, we always tried to maintain some private clients that allowed us to remain agile, understanding of the market yeah. in particular, uh, and not fall into this vortex of you know, it's all good in, in government world. Yeah. And I guess from design into the contract, the contracts we're working with at the moment are, we, it's a work in progress. Well, Pre-COVID, the contract was already aged, for lack of a better word. It's not with the times, it's not with the risk appetite of the contractors. Mm. What do you think needs to change in the way we're negotiating these contracts <coughs> and really apportioning risk, which you've mentioned before? Yeah, look, we, we, we're trying to spend a lot of time at the moment um, looking at forms of contracts with with um, with a couple of good lawyers at the moment, um, uh, legal companies, where, you know, the standard Australian contract, you know, Australian standard is, is a good starting point. Unfortunately, we've got to a point in the industry where there's been so many reiterations of um, Australian standard contracts yeah. that have had amendments um, and then amended yeah. and then amended and and really it's about stopping and saying okay let's go back again to this risk portion what what is a contractor prepared um, to entertain what and and what does the feasibility entertain from a, a financier a developer in, in that risk appetite we've worked on a couple of projects that we've um, had some challenges with to get contractors on board. Um, we, we've done a reiteration of con uh, contractors, uh, construction management contract, um, where that looked at some rise and fall provisions. It looked at the capping of risk. Um, they were all palatable to the financiers when, we, again, we sat down and had that communication about what risk looked like. Yeah. And we've had some success in that. Mm -hmm. You know, we are capping things like Rio pricing at that point. We you know, $2,300 a tonne, where was it going to end up? Um, we saw reductions over the, the short period um, where it topped up the, the contingency accounts. So there's been some really good success. But again, it was all led by a conversation with the people in the room, the contractor in the room, the client in the room, the, the financiers, the legal people in the room, um, coming to a manageable process. There isn't a, a one-stop shop. There's never going to be not in the in the near future, 
that good old lump sum that we can put on the table and everyone has a crack at it and we skinny the margins down, everyone goes away and hopes that it all goes well. As I always say, hope's not a strategy. Definitely isn't. The last question from me, Pete. Uh, and it's more personal. Oh, but what's, yeah. what's utopia for you in the construction industry? What does that look like when you when it's all said and done and you're walking away from the game or you're playing golf? What's utopia for you? <clears throat> I think it's, it's a really good question. Um, utopia for me is giving back to the industry a little bit. I've been fortunate, I've, you know, 40, dare I say, 45 years in the industry. Um, I, I, in my early career, I, I worked with what I consider the legends of the industry uh, as a young person growing up in Lend-Lease. Um, and we're talking about, you know, people like Dick Dusseldorf who founded Lend-Lease, Stuart Honorary, um, as I said earlier, Murray Coleman, Star Parks of the World. These amazing individuals who always found time for a Peter Ward, yeah. um, for a Cuda, for whoever was willing to learn and willing to to take on an industry that you know is, is, isn't easy. Um, they were always there, front and centre. Um, I've tried to do that a lot in my later career, um, and certainly one PM group for me um, is the start of the end of Utopia for me. You know, we've got an amazing group of, of young people. Uh, mixed in with some experience in a, in a team that I'd like to think um, are getting something out of that experience. Um, so Utopia for me is is playing golf three days a week. Yeah. Um, watching one PM group continues to be the, the, the brainchild that we set it out to be and grow to a size that isn't a, a whole lot bigger than where we are now. Um, we've obviously secured some major projects. It's those large projects that I think our teams continue to develop their skills and can start bridging that gap between client and builder. So Utopia is a project, and, and it could be as, as early as Waterfront Brisbane, where we've got people like Dexas and John Holland Group working collaboratively to deliver an amazing, iconic building for, um, for Brisbane and, and for the Greater Queensland. And that's what success would look like on a project. Oh, thanks, Pete. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you taking the time to have a coffee or a tea with me. Yep. And yeah, I really took a lot from this. So thanks, man. Lovely spending time with you. Thanks, Kida. <coughs> appreciate it. That was a conversation with Pete. Uh, we had a great coffee, and we'll go into the key takeaway. I just had a great coffee with Peter Ward, the Managing Director of 1PM Group. My key takeaways from the conversation with Peter are as follows. Communication and risk. At the moment, everyone is factoring in risk and there is no quantifying of the risk, there is no mitigation factor, and this is being seen in the pricing, this is being seen in the type of contracts that are being signed. Secondly, what makes a good project manager or a great project manager? That's bridging the gap between the client and the contractor, understanding both sides of the coin and working towards a goal that's going to make both parties happy and also managing the outcome. Thirdly, working towards success. At the moment, due to the factors of COVID resourcing and the rise and fall pressures all parties are receiving, there's, there's an element of working from a fear side of things. 
everyone is looking at the worst case scenario and what failure looks like. Instead of looking at what failure looks like, we should be looking at what success looks like. That was really the most important lesson I took from this. Until then, let's work towards success and see you in the next episode. Thanks.